Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. everyone and welcome to the X Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at xtalks.com and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid. Thanks very much for coming. So I'm going to start us off with a little bit of uh, of a story about um, that all leads to the conclusion of why plant-based meat sales are kind of stagnant uh, in 2022. So in the late 2010s, Beyond Meat developed the next generation of plant-based meat products, winning over consumers with its very innovative new take on the classic veggie burger. And then investors were very impressed in 2019 when it had the most successful stock market debut in over a decade. So at its initial public offering or IPO price, Beyond Meat was valued at $1.46 billion. And from there, the plant-based meat sales just skyrocketed. However, 2022 hasn't been as kind to the plant-based market leader. Amid declining plant-based meat sales, Beyond Meat recently announced it will lay off 19% of its staff by the end of the year, and its stock price has also tumbled. Uh, It recently told shareholders to expect to bring in less revenue this year than originally forecasted, citing increased competition and high inflation. In response, Beyond Meat did what many food companies would do when they're at risk of losing market share, pushing out a new product. And this new product happens to be plant-based steak tips, which will be available nationwide in more than 5,000 Kroger and Walmart locations as well as several other retailers. And it will also be available to food distributors, so it could start showing up on restaurant menus soon. But will this tactic work? It's yet another new product from one of the most recognized names in the alternative meat industry. Will that be enough to recoup plant-based meat sales? By now, the fanfare around plant-based meat that once captured the attention of many consumers has faded. But why? The answer is very simple, uh, and it's due to poor marketing. So consumers have long moved past the defining moments from Beyond Meat launching in Whole Foods in 2016 to Impossible Foods launching uh, with Burger King that same year. And countless other plant-based meat startups have taken place since then, resulting in a crowded market that has ultimately weakened the novelty of the industry. Plant-based meat sales have slowed so much that Beyond Meat's share price has gone from a high of around $109 to around $12 more recently. And while the technological triumphs brought forward by the plant-based meat industry should absolutely not be understated, it's clear that the industry is a marketing catastrophe. And that's because there's little to no differentiation in the space among the most prevalent brands, smaller startups, and everything in between. Most plant-based meat players go no further than advertising just, quote-unquote, we are plant-based, giving consumers no reason to consume one company's, you know, soy-based products or whatever it is over another's. Impossible Foods, for example, is guilty of still marketing to vegans who are motivated by the plant-based movement rather than the broader market, which includes flexitarians who want to reduce meat consumption but still include it in their diet, as well as meat eaters, too, because some don't eat meat every day. 
And meat giant Tyson, who jumped into uh, the plant-based offerings when they saw the trend emerge, is also failing to differentiate, selling plant-based meat as a commodity, just like the startups that specialize in the space. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the JBS-owned plant-based meat startup Plantera Foods, which recently shut down only two years after it made its retail debut, since it was also unable to stand out from the rest. So why is differentiation in the plant-based market so difficult? In the early days of the plant-based industry, the idea was that there were enough consumers who wanted to evolve from meat for a variety of reasons related to health, humane treatment of animals, and climate change. And plant-based meat providers, sorry, and plant-based meat provided consumers with an, you know, another option which often delivered meat-like flavors and the famous visual bleed that we would sometimes see. Buzz was created, awareness was raised, and a Gallup poll found that 40% of Americans had tried plant-based meat, um, and roughly 60% of them who had tried it were likely to continue eating it. There was this media obsession, fast food partnerships, and curiosity that really drove this budding industry. But whatever marketing was done was all based on the amazement of plant-based meat is here, or it's finally here. When a category becomes mature like this, as plant-based meat eventually did, the next step is to differentiate within the category. And there are several ways to do this, including community and expertise building, taking on the competition directly, or taking advantage of social media platforms to build campaigns. Differentiating within a commodity category requires creativity, innovation, and imaginative elevation, which are things that unfortunately a few plant-based meat companies sorry, few plant-based meat companies are attempting. And while the founders of most of the alternative meat companies are scientists and, and people in technology who are inspired by the opportunity to use chemistry to save animals and the world, they position their products as essentially all or nothing. And there was no effort to help consumers navigate this new food option to teach them how to integrate plant-based into their menu planning or to change on their own terms. Because these inflexible leaders can't connect can't connect with flexitarians and meat eaters, there was really no segmentation. So they couldn't recognize that not everyone was on their side. The need for this sophisticated marketing is only going to grow in the alternative category as lab-grown meat and fish will be commercialized in the coming years. So for the next generation of alternative meat, brands can hopefully market their products properly rather than repeat the mistakes that they made in the past. So with all this information, um, I was wondering, you know, have you ever put any second thought into the marketing of plant-based meats? Is what I, you know, what I was saying about the lack of marketing in terms of plant-based meat is here or it's finally here. Did that kind of resonate with you um, since I brought it up? And um, how do you think that plant-based meat uh, players can, can differentiate from one another? Yeah, very interesting questions and such an interesting piece that you wrote here, uh, Sydney, because, yeah, I had, you know, it, it came as a surprise to me to learn that plant-based uh, meat sales have been declining. I thought it was such a strong market. You always hear about, you know, it continuing to grow and just so many innovations in this space, so many um, new companies and also, of course, old players like Beyond Meat, you see them everywhere, um, partnering with different franchises and fast food restaurants included. So it's kind of surprising. And um, yeah, the point that you raised about marketing, I think that's where the shortfall um, has, you know, come from. And I think um, when plant-based meat came out, it 
it was a very niche kind of an area and space. And I think um, through their, I guess, not poor, but through that very niche marketing, I think it, it wasn't able to expand to what it could have been. And I think um, niche marketing is probably what um, the bottleneck has been. I think these companies really needed to expand their marketing strategy um, rather than really focusing in on their base customers who may be vegan, who may be vegetarian. Um, but now, like you know, we talk about, there are so many other categories of, of uh, diets, including flexitarians and um people who may just want to reduce their meat consumption and i and i guess the marketing doesn't speak to those people and i think that's why it's um that's why we're seeing this trend now of sales declining so i think yeah they haven't kept up with the times and with the different diets and the different attitudes of people towards um plant-based meat and i think that's where um things have kind of gotten um where things have led to what we're seeing now in the market so that's quite unfortunate because I thought there was just so much scope and like with all the innovations we hear like I hope we get to see them and you know but with all of these companies um struggle like seemingly struggling now um it'll be interesting to see what happens but yes I think the marketing does need to um be stepped up to be more inclusive Yes, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, in terms of how companies can differentiate from one another, um, either just saying, oh, we don't have as many preservatives or highlighting certain ingredients that they use. Like you really do, if you're buying plant-based meat, you got to pick up the packages, turn them over and, you know, read the ingredients um, to really make these uh, decisions for yourself. It's it's not easy to tell, you know, what's in them. They usually just tend to say plant-based meat and that's kind of it. Mm. And you can see what they are based on, you know, the, the, the shape of the packaging or like the what the product is, is supposed to emulate in terms of, of, of meat. But one thing they never did um, in the plant-based meat industry was try to tackle competition directly. And the competition would be, you know, traditional meat. I think they mm. always sort of stayed in their own lane, which I understand why they would, because they are po- pointedly, they're different products, but they never did try to, to you know, tackle the competition directly. And I was reading a quote from, it was either the CEO of, of Beyond or Impossible. Um, and he was talking about how the meat industry is the worst thing that could have ever happened to the planet. And it was like a very, very harsh, um, wow. uh, you know, thing to say. It, it may be true um, in his opinion, um, but that to me, that's that's not really how you how you tackle the issue is, is playing that guilt card card, you know? And I think, I think both of those major companies, um, they're still sort of their marketing is a little bit like you, you shouldn't be eating meat. And if you do, Mm -hmm. we're not the product for you. I think, yeah, they really do need to be more inclusive of, of, of all consumers. Uh, cause we never like to be guilted into, you know, buying certain products. It has to, it has to be our own decisions. Exactly. And I I think if you come at it from like such a negative kind of, uh, uh, perspective that's it's very antagonizing right for people mm-hmm. who who may be meat eaters and who may just want to reduce their consumption or flexitarians or just may just want to try it out of curiosity and I think that's definitely yeah I agree not the way to go about 
uh, doing it at all. And yeah, I, I mean, it's time that plant-based meat not be so niche. Like it's not just for a certain segment of people. Um, if you, again, it depends on what your goals are, but if you want to take on competition, like, or go against the meat industry, um, you are going to, again, have to be more inclusive. And you're very right about the differentiation point because we see a lot of different types of plant-based um, meat options now. It's not just soy-based. Um, you know, the other day I was at a Walmart and I was picking up some, I was just like interested to see what, you know, options they had for plant-based. And a lot of them are like no soy or no, you know, chemicals or no you know, other ingredients that may have been off-putting to consumers but that's not clearly indicated and we just don't know what's out there because it just seems that yeah the marketing is very poor around it and even the packaging like you just pick it up it says plant-based like you said but you have to really look at the ingredients and just in very small text they'll might say no soy or not even like some of these were just like just listed I'm like oh there's no soy in this or there's no this in it and um yeah I don't know why that's the case um I feel like yeah they just want to be very niche and just like stick to their vegan or vegetarian consumer base but that's obviously not working out very well I also wonder whether like the current market climate in general like with inflation and uh you know rising food prices and rising costs of everything maybe that's hitting plant-based um the plant-based sector even harder because plant-based products are generally more expensive to begin with and so with rising prices um those are just getting even more expensive so maybe that's also contributing to the decline in sales that we're we're seeing um this year especially definitely i would agree i think it's it's that and it's it's the yeah just overall lack of differentiation and and what you were saying before like you know the plant based meat products like they they did have that uh, lure in the beginning, mm-hmm. clearly, because there was demand for it. But now there's just such an oversaturation of, of brands and products. Um, and they all like, look the same, to be honest. The, like, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. They, yeah. they look the same. And the thing is, um, like, as a meat eater myself, I kind of already have my favorites in terms of what what I'm going to buy. I already know yeah. what I'm going to buy with meat. And I would imagine that a lot of people who eat plant-based meat are kind of the same. They'll find one or two products and, and sort of mm-hmm. stick to those. I, I feel like there's less willingness to, to try more products because um, it's overwhelming. There's too many yeah, options. For sure. And then even if you go in the restaurant space or in uh, you know the fast food industry, They'll have the Beyond Beyond Meat is raining there, sure, but mm-hmm. there's no competition for it. And even mm-hmm. Beyond Meat, you'll just have like it on the side, you know, as part of the menu. Oh, here's our vegan option. But there's nothing to attract the consumer, like in terms of taste, in terms of like how it looks and why it's so great, you know? Um, it, it's not just about the vegan or vegetarian component for many. Like people want to have, like make it palatable, make it attractive, make it a part of you know, your your menu, an important part. And um, I think, yeah, the marketing is just so, again, I've said it so many, like very, very niche. It's just like, oh, if you're a vegetarian, come on over here, you'll get your, you, you know, we have a vegan burger for you or something like that. But it should appeal to the masses. Like they should just want to try it mm-hmm. regardless. 
All right, moving on. So a few weeks ago was the SIAL uh, 2022 uh, conference, which brought together more than 7,000 companies from 130, sorry, which brought together more than 7,000 companies from more than 130 countries um, in Paris, France, to showcase the latest in global food and beverage innovation. So we saw collagen water, protein chips, and a plastic straw alternatives, and the exhibitors did not disappoint the more than 300,000 attendees from around the world. So some key contemporary food trends in the spotlight this year included a natural approach to formulation, a heightened focus on the environment, environment and ethics, and a digital transformation of the food and beverage industry. So I selected a few companies that were featured at the SIAL 2022. So the first one is collagen water. So if you didn't know, um, collagen makes up 80% of the ligaments, cartilage, and tissue um, of our skin, and it's the most abundant protein in the human body. But at around age 30, humans stop producing collagen, which can increase the risk of injury, lead to wrinkling of the skin, and lead to lower performance in muscle recovery. So Humble Plus is a startup claiming to be the first to offer fish-sourced collagen in a ready-to-drink beverage, which kind of sounds gross to me, but (laughs) I'll continue telling you about it anyway. So each of the Humble Plus, each can of Humble Plus offers five grams of collagen from fish sourced from uh, the French company called Weishart. And all its collagen is locally sourced from France and comes from a variety of fish, including haddock and whitefish. So the ready to drink beverages are sugar and preservative free and feature only four ingredients. And while the company is currently selling in the French market, it sees greater market potential in the US and the UK and Australia, where health and well-being are prioritized. The next one um, are uh, protein chips. So the company is called The Organic Crave, and it was money, one of many companies at the conference that was on a mission to transform snacking with clean and functional ingredients. So the Danish startup's first product on the market, protein chips, contains 70% less fat than traditional chips and offers 7 grams of protein per 30-gram pack. The chips come in four flavors, including cheese, paprika and onion, salt and pepper, and sour cream and onion. But where do they source this protein from? It would be red lentils. So the organic Crave achieves a high concentration of lentils thanks to its processing technique in which heat and pressure are applied to achieve the desired crisp shape. And while the company's protein chips have gained popularity, it has no plans to stop at the savory. The organic Crave plans to offer healthier alternative to sweet snacks um, free from artificial sweeteners and lower in sugar. And the startup has already developed a prototype line of chocolate bars which is expected to reach the market next year. And then the last one I talked about was probably my favorite. So as of last year, the sale and distribution of plastic straws was actually banned in Europe due to negative environmental impacts. And we've, of course, seen those paper straw alternatives popping up in the market over the last few years. But a fourth generation rye farmer named Cassandra Bourneau envisioned a more natural straw replacement in rye. So she founded Vegepai. So it is one of a select handful of brands at this conference that wasn't a specific 
specific food or beverage product, but rather more of a uh, cutlery product in, in being a straw. So the 100% biodegradable straws are made by harvesting rye and upcycling the stock of the crop for the retail and food service industry. The straws are cut into two lengths. I believe one was 14 centimeters and the other one was 19 centimeters. Then they're washed, dried, and packaged, and they're also pesticide-free. And despite being made from rye, they're also gluten-free. One of the straws, um, sorry, once the straws reach the end of their life, they can be discarded in the compost and take around two to three months to fully decompose. So those were just a select few of obviously the many, many companies that um, were at the event this year. I just thought they were really interesting and, and doing things that I'd never heard of before. So I'm curious to know what you make of this collagen water, especially with your sci- science background. I'm wondering if that really is true, whether you know we stop producing collagen and, and whether there are other ways to get it um, after you stop producing it naturally in your body. So do you think this collagen water is a good idea? Wow. Yeah. I, you know, when you first mentioned it, I couldn't help but roll my eyes, but (laughs) (laughs) it's like, I I have never heard of such a thing. Um, it's, it's interesting. I'm not an expert in the area, but, um, from what I know, yeah, collagen production does start decreasing. I think even in your twenties, like something like one to 2% very slowly. And then of course, as we age, um, definitely the production, uh, decreases even more so so um yes that's a problem but i'm not sure if um obtaining collagen through this you know through water would be a way to to get it in the other thing with all of these you know again it seems like a another health claim not backed by any scientific (laughs) evidence so um, i definitely have a problem with that but um i can definitely see people going for this this company is very smart in terms of um, are there other collagen waters on the market, by the way, or is this one of the first companies? Um, I think this? this they claim to be one of the first, or at okay. least the first in, in the European market. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if there are others out there. This was just the first time I had heard of, of collagen water. Right. So it's, um, yeah, because the thing is, like, collagen production in your body, like, with a lot of other things in the body, it's not just that you eat that certain thing like you you intake collagen and you're good because that collagen it's 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 digested right so your your body has its own mechanisms by which it uses amino acids and um ingredients and components from other foods and things that you intake in your body and then creates the collagen so it's not like collagen in collagen out into your body (laughs) like it's it's not that simplistic it doesn't work that way so that's why yeah i do have an issue with this but it is an, it's innovative and I really do appreciate, you know, food tech innovations. So from that perspective, I think this is cool, but yeah, I am skeptical of, of this uh, claim that you're going to replenish your collagen um, through this drink. <laughs> and especially it only being, I think, five grams of collagen per mm-hmm. bottle, you probably have to drink a, quite a exactly. bit of it yeah, uh, anyway, yeah, which benefit. is yeah. right where, where they get you. And, mm-hmm. and it, it also, yeah, it didn't seem right to me that just drinking it mm-hmm. would, would 
you know, help your body in any way to replenish collagen levels. I think a lot of food and beverage companies, I think um, they're, they're very, um, oftentimes they align, I think, with like the beauty industry and like the anti-aging yeah. industry. Mm-hmm. And we do know how important food is for our overall health and, and, and potentially preventing certain signs of, of aging, um, mm-hmm. you know, having a healthy diet is can be extremely life-changing yeah. but I think it's also, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, it's aging is also a natural thing. Um, and I think trying to prevent it with, with products like this, um, yeah, you might be giving people false hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's so true. Like, I mean, you have all of those collagen-based creams, which I'm skept- kind of a skeptic of anyway. And then now the food industry is sort of, yeah, it's very true because uh, beauty, health, um, food, all of this, you know, all of these things go hand in hand. And so, yeah, it could be giving false hope to people who may be looking for the fountain of youth and whatnot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one I thought that was so interesting one uh, was the uh, straws made mm-hmm. from rye. That I thought my, that was such that a was brilliant so cool. idea. Yeah, I agree. Like, because it's funny when you brought up like, you know, plastic straws, like in the last couple of years have been are being replaced with like the paper ones and I, I could just like taste it in my mouth mm-hmm. when you mentioned oh it. yes we've all been there yes, drinking something all, exactly. and the straw disappears before the drink oh. <laughs> right and that like very dry texture you know in your mouth it's mm-hmm. it's it's not pleasant a lot of the times um some straws are better than others I'm sure but yeah like to see an, a different uh an alternative that isn't cardboard or paper um this is sourced from rye so that's really cool and I would be so excited to, uh, to try it as I'm sure many others would be too and um yeah it seems to be very much sustainable of course since since it's being derived from an organic food product so I think that was re- that's really cool what I also think is really cool about this um food conference is that it not only featured food products but also um things like you know alternative plastic straws and and uh food utensils and aids and things that go along with food so it's not just edible products here right so that's that was pretty cool that's so true i mean you know being a part of uh the food industry doesn't just mean you're creating the food products it's Mm -hmm. it's everything around the food as well it's it's uh logistics exactly there's so much to be innovated in the food and beverage industry aside from just the food and beverages themselves so that's that's an excellent point i totally agree with you All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X-Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. 
For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.